This is Lightning Power Lunch, Stanley Cup Final Edition, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. A lot of mistakes. At one point, I think you you over trying and instead of you're getting out of your, your system. So, yeah, it's a little bit different than, than the, the third period. But at the end of the day, we were the mistake kind of cost us too much. And we are not here um, thinking that, oh, well, you know, we're just going to turn. We know that we didn't play the right way. We haven't showed up what we can do. So we're just going to go home and play the game the way we know how to play it. It, it didn't look pretty uh, last night, that's for sure. But um, we can be better. We can be quicker with the puck, turnovers. We can start playing north a little bit faster. And once we start doing that, we'll get back to our game. I guess a little bit of experience comes into play. When you get to the playoffs, it's one, it's just one game. Yeah, does it? It was an ugly the way it was lost for sure. But does it have the same result as losing in overtime? It does. Honestly, sometimes getting waxed like that <laughs> can be easier than losing the one in overtime because uh, you're so close. You know, this one we were out early, and you know you find out you find out about your guys and and see if they can they can come back and they can turn the page. But you know, over the years, been in a lot of different circumstances. Maybe this is a little different, but. You know, you just got to break it down. It's one game. Let's move on to game three. And like I said, focus a little on ourselves and what we've done to get ourselves here. Yeah, this is way different than those previous years. That was John Cooper in the middle there. You heard Corey Perry, Pierre-Edouard Belmar got things kicked off. It is power lunch on lighting power play. We are still here. No doubt about that. Hope everybody had a great Father's Day. Of course, to uh, Dave Michigan and Steve Ersnick as well. And we're here to talk about Game 3 tonight and, I guess, try and recap Game 2. I don't know if we want to do that. We will. At Bolts Radio on Twitter, a full hour of just some hockey talk with you guys out there. I know you have a lot of questions and a lot of comments, and you're venting, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. And uh, we'll do our best to navigate the water, so to speak, and... Partner, let me bring you into the broadcast. You had a, uh, a front row seat to whatever that was in game two. And being down 0-2 to Colorado, a bit different than at any point the Lightning have faced over the last couple of years, mainly because the opponent is playing lights out. I guess my big macro take of this whole thing so far through two games is that Colorado has just been dominant. And... I don't think I can remember a time where the Lightning have looked this out of sorts in this type of environment, meaning the playoffs, for quite some time. I think it's a credit to Colorado more than Tampa Bay, although there are some things the Lightning can do differently. We are asking our audience, what adjustments would you make for Game 3 to try and get back into this series? But I've been really impressed with Colorado, their speed is certainly a factor and probably the biggest thing Dave that's sticking out for me through two games is the way this thing is unfolding defensively for Colorado the Lightning just aren't generating enough chances offensively and I know they put up seven Colorado did in game two and everybody's going to look at that crooked number and they're going to look at Vasilevsky and say he's not playing as well as he could Maybe there's a little validity to that, but you know what? You're not going to – it wouldn't matter. You're not going to win a game if you don't score. And the Lightning just aren't even generating decent chances to push back and make Colorado uncomfortable. And I think that part is a bit alarming. I guess the good news is you can only go up from here. <laughs> and I think we the hope. Lightning <laughs> – yeah, and I, I, I think we are hoping that the Lightning, and it's going to have to, I think, come from their best players, have a lot more to give. Whether that's good enough in this series, time will tell. But I've been very impressed with Colorado's ability to get up the ice and generate some offense. But I think more importantly, because you and I have talked about this What's been the calling card for this Lightning team over the last two plus years? It's been how they've defended. This Avalanche team isn't really giving Tampa Bay much offensively. And because of that, I don't think Darcy Kemper has been tested that much at all through two games. And what I thought was the biggest advantage coming into this series basically has been 
sidetracked a little bit because of how well Colorado has done defensively in this game, this series. So you're right. And if you remember heading into game one, the way I, I kind of viewed the building blocks of the series, the, the building blocks necessary for success for both these teams, for Colorado, if you're going to acknowledge the Lightning have an advantage in net, then how do you overcome that? You you build up an overwhelming advantage in scoring chances. And I think they have had that. So they have they have forced Vasilevsky to erase more chances than Kemper has. And I think that's an understatement. I mean, the scoring chance differential through two games has been staggering. And broad strokes, if the Lightning are going to get back in the series, they need to level that, which kind of goes to what you're saying like how do they do that how do they limit more chances in their end how do they generate more on Darcy Kemper but you know game two was different than game one the first 10 minutes of game one kind of resembled game two but I was thinking of you Greg after game two because as much as you have often said playing a full 60 is basically impossible Colorado came pretty darn close I mean I, I they almost I don't know, got there, you didn't can't they? say. <laughs> that was basically a perfect game for the Avalanche. They dominated, maybe after the first shift of the game, and at the end of that shift, McDonough took a penalty. But maybe other than that, that was a dominating performance for a full 60. So how are they able to do it? We don't play it much anymore, but you know, we have this we have this video game. Mario Sports Mix. I don't know if you ever played it. This is something else I was thinking about. So this Mario Sports Mix has all these different games with the Mario characters, right? And hockey is one of them. So my family and I would would play this. Not as much anymore, but a few years. Who was ago. Luigi? Who was Luigi? Uh, you know what? We had so many characters to choose from, and you know, some could some could sure. you know were bigger and slower. Others oh, yeah. were, yeah, yeah. you know, they had different skill sets. Some were more yes, accurate yes. with their shots, but. Game two reminded me of a game when you're playing the computer and you put the computer on easy so the computer can't do very much and your character is like 10 times faster. And basically, as soon as the computer gets the puck, you can just like take it away <laughs> and like blow past them and you're score cheating. it all. You're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically what we saw in game two. And, and what I'm trying to say is that like on the speed dial, Phil and I talked about this during the broadcast. If you have a speed dial that goes 0 to 10, the Avs were operating at like a 9-10. And the Lightning were probably at a 5. I mentioned that to Brian Engblom on the bus to the airport the next day. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'd put them at a 3 or a 4, though. I mean, and if you're going to have that kind of disparity, in, and when I say speed, yeah, skating speed, but also pace of play speed thinking speed reacting speed the abs were like that character on sports mix who would just go so much faster than the opponent and when when you had the puck you just blew into the open space and when your opponent had the puck you were in on them immediately and took the puck away or disrupted it and so that's what the abs were able to do now i think the two questions that we have coming out of that. Why did it happen in game two? Because we really didn't see that in game one, not to that degree. And more importantly, how did the Lightning fix it? And we're going to get an answer tonight. I am not convinced that altitude doesn't have something to do with this. And I'm not using this as an excuse and we, we don't know enough about the altitude. But Brian Engblom believes Edmonton looked more gassed in Game 2 of the Western Conference Final than the Oilers did in Game 1. And I think it's beyond dispute. The Lightning were not playing as quickly as they did in Game 1. Even though they didn't have a great Game 1. We were saying after Game 1, they need to be better. Colorado got better, and the Lightning got got slower basically so maybe altitude has something to do with it that's the best scenario for the lightning because that means that now that they're out of the altitude and both teams are, are back in tampa that disparity shouldn't be as great 
Colorado plays fast. I'm not suggesting that, you know, they're all of a sudden going to slow down, but the key for the Lightning is they need to speed up. And that was the what I heard from Corey Perry. He used the word quicker and he used the word faster in that clip that Steve played. And those are two really important words that are going to be key for the Lightning to not only play well tonight, but but to get back in the series if if they're going to if they're going to make a run at this thing. So you know, game two is fairly simple to break down. You're like, how are the Avs getting all these chances on the Lightning while they're playing faster? They're reacting faster. They're they're moving the puck faster. They're dialed in. They're playing at a really high level, and in game two, they played at a championship level. I think, and if they're going to maintain that level, and the Lightning can't get close to it, the Lightning are not going to come back in the series. You can't control if Colorado's play is going to dip. I guess you can force it a little bit. But what the Lightning can control is how they are playing. And, and you know, after game one, this is the last thing I'll say, Greg, and then, and then I'll, I'll punt it back to you. I know after game one, you felt a lot of the problems the Lightning had were self-inflicted. And, and I said, yeah, I kind of thought Colorado forced some, but some, some of the Lightning's problems were self-inflicted. Like on, on in game one, the second goal, and then the overtime goal, the Lightning got into trouble with some unforced mistakes. I'm not sure they had many unforced mistakes in game two. Colorado was forcing them into mistakes all over the ice. So when I hear Belmar's comments about, you know, we made mistakes, yeah, they made mistakes, but they made mistakes in part because the Avs were just operating at like a warp speed, and they weren't. So it's not just cutting down on the mistakes. Give yourself a chance to cut down on mistakes by playing faster. Like Ryan McDonough would get the puck, look up, and there'd be an avalanche player right there. Like, he couldn't even have time to do anything with it. So he'd try and backpedal. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the one thing that I saw from a couple of the Lightning guys in Game 2, and it's very, very hard to find anything positive, and you really have to dig. But the Lightning had their best success holding on to the puck when a couple of the guys, and McDonough was one of them, and he didn't have a very good game. I mean, he took the penalty early. He kind of berated himself for that. Everybody had mistakes for the Lightning. But McDonough was one and Nick Paul was another. What I saw from them at points, they got the puck and they just tried to take off. And there was an avalanche player right there with both of them, but they fought through what the avalanche player was trying to do to check them, to slow them up. Paul especially, McDonough did it too, because McDonough, I I think he would get the puck and he's like, I can't do anything with it. I'm just going to skate. I'm going. And, and he would basically will his way out to the neutral zone. Paul did the same. And Paul, in fact, a lot of times chipped it in and went and you know, pursued it. If the Lightning are, are, are facing the same predicament tonight, maybe that's one way to, to try and find a different way to, to maintain possession and, and force the Avs to play more without the puck in the defensive zone. Because they didn't have a lot of time doing that in game two. I mean, you mentioned, what, 16 shots, only 29 shot attempts. You could hit 29 shot attempts in one period if you have a particularly active period. But again, in game one, the Lightning had 60 shot attempts. So game one was different than game two. Colorado played really well in both, but the Avs played even better in game two. And we'll see what kind of performance they have tonight and if the Lightning can do something about kind of knocking them off their game a little bit more they, than they were able to. You bring up really good points. You mentioned the championship level that Colorado has reached. I think you're right. The Lightning aren't anywhere close to that right now. In game two, they reached it. In game two. In game yeah. one, I thought they were really good. Yeah. Um, and the Lightning were pretty good. I think you can make a case the Lightning's three goals in game one were of pretty good individual plays. I need to see sustained pressure offensively, Dave. I'm seeing too many one and dones, mm-hmm. and maybe not even one and dones. I mean, you're entering the zone, you can't generate a shot, and Colorado's going the other way. Is a lot of that Colorado? Yes. I after watching them play, their commitment to defense, and maybe this is my fault. I didn't anticipate this. Maybe it's because you know you had in your mind what happened in the previous series that this was somehow a a team that was pretty loose defensively at times, understanding they were going against a really dynamic offense. But you also looked at the Lightning and said, well, they're no slouch either. They can score. And I'm just seeing the Lightning star players, and really everybody, but as I said before, they're going to pull out of this 
with their stars leading the way. I mean, Kucherov's been quiet. Stamkos has been quiet. Hedman's been quiet. Uh, Braden Point, understandable, has been quiet. They're going to have to elevate their game, no pun intended, talking about Denver and the altitude. They're going to have to elevate their game in Game 3 before we can even talk about them mounting a furious comeback. The good news is there is room for improvement, and I think Vasilevsky can get better too. Uh, if they don't, then look, you just chalk that up and say Colorado is a, a really well-oiled machine, mm-hmm. and the Lightning can't slow them down. Dave, this reminds me a little bit, although I will tell you this, that series where the Lightning played the Penguins. Yeah, and the Capitals in 2018. I where was they thinking just, about both, yeah. both of those series. And I, I remember those series because the, the other team, particularly Pittsburgh, it felt like the puck was in Tampa Bay's own zone the whole time. And that was basically how Pittsburgh played defense. It was go, 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 puck possession, lots of shots. But the Lightning, if you remember in that series, and I know you do, I mean, that went seven games, and the Lightning did get some dangerous looks when they went the other way. Mm-hmm. Vasilevsky had a great series. He was fin- He was better and, than and Matt And he Murray. had a great series. I mean, I know he kind of took some flack along yeah. with Kucherov and Stamkos, I guess, because the Lightning got shut out in Game 6 and 7 of the yeah. Washington series. But in some ways, that series went as far as it did as well because of Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky. But, uh, you're right. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh played in 2016 in a similar vein to how Colorado played, I would say, in game two because they defended with pressure and puck possession. But what I was going to say is Colorado looked in game two especially, but in both games, I'm not discounting how well they played in game one. They were just they – were, they were perfect in game two. They weren't perfect in game one. But it reminds me of – the wave that the Penguins hit in 2016 and the wave the Capitals hit in 2018. And to some extent, the wave the Lightning hit, I'm, I'm going to say in 2020. And I think the Lightning hit that wave in 2020 because similar to Colorado, they had, they had some playoff disappointments that they were looking to exercise those demons. And, and they kind of hit their stride fresh, right? I mean, the Lightning are not fresh <laughs> the lightning are, are a team that's gone deep the last two years colorado has had a shortened playoff the last two years because they got upset in the second round so you were making the comparison with pittsburgh based on style of play i'm making the comparison with the 2016 penguins the 2018 capitals and i would throw the 2020 lightning in there as well as a team that just has that look of you know, the Kool-Aid man bursting through the wall. Yeah, I think that's, all of that is fair. But the Lightning still have time to change the narrative. And and just the thing that stood out for me in those two series that we just alluded to, the Lightning, when they did get their chances, they were were dangerous chances the other way. They might not have dominated the puck possession game in those two series. Mm -hmm. I I think that's pretty evident. But I remember at times the Lightning making those other teams back off a bit with their transition game when they had some looks. And, Dave, they're not even getting those looks against Colorado. I think that's the part that's concerning. Look, if you want to come at me and say, Colorado's the faster team, through two games for the most part, the ice is tilted in their favor offensively, and the Lightning are just having a hard time, whether it's in Colorado's own zone, in the neutral zone, or in their own zone, slowing them down, I can buy that. I think anybody who's watched these first two games, understands that. What's a little troubling is that, as I have said to you a number of times, no matter how well the opposition plays or how poor another team is, that team is always going to get a few chances in a game. It's just going to happen. Like, the Montreal Canadiens aren't very good. But in a 60-minute game, and it could come on a power play, or it could come on a broken play, or something, there's going to be a little bit of a pushback for about five or ten minutes where the other team can generate some scoring chances. They get paid too. What has stood out for me is that I'm not even seeing that from the Lightning. And, you know, we can talk about maybe a play here or a play there. And, you know, whether it's Hedman in OT or Ross Colton on his stick in game one, I need to see a few more of those because in game two, there was nothing. And I think collectively speaking, 
and this is probably speaking to the best players on the Lightning's team right now, they're not generating any offense, even on the power play. And I think that's the thing that I would be most puzzled in because I think Vassy can be better, even though I think he's been pretty good. I think the Lightning can be better with their decision-making. I understand the Colorado Avalanche are fast, but I mean, uh, all right. The Lightning have seen fast teams, maybe not as fast, but let's not make it seem like this team is, to use your analogy, playing video games. They're at 100 speed and the Lightning are at 50. Does the altitude have something to do with that? I, I, I think so. And we have some questions pertaining to that that we'll get into. But I, I think what I'm drawing from this is that, man, there is a, I think, a real opportunity there to take advantage of a pretty good goaltender, not a great one. And you're not even, like, if you're going to lose this series, go down swinging. Mm -hmm. Make Darcy Kemper have a game. Well, I think they're trying. I think they were trying game two. They just couldn't, they couldn't do it. Well, Whether that's what was, I'm saying. They, like didn't, I, they didn't have the gas in the tank or, or the other team was just so much faster. I don't think that it was an effort problem. I'm not saying it's an effort. I'm just saying it's yeah. an execution for sure. Well, and I, I, right. I'm surprised. It's let's put it, it was a pace of play problem. And, and, and maybe that is maybe that's what it is. But I'm surprised. like, I think they wanted to press on the gas and go faster. They just couldn't. Which is why I was wondering about maybe it the is altitude. the altitude. Maybe so. Maybe like we'll have a you, better idea tonight. you say, you know, slow Colorado down and make Colorado play more in the defensive zone. All of that is true, but the Lightning don't need and and here is so like what are Colorado's strengths, I guess, or advantages if you want to say in the series, you know, they they play this this particular style that can really make other teams uncomfortable. They tend to get a lot of shots and. When they surge, they really surge. And they're good players. I mean, through five periods, you want to include the overtime as as kind of one period extended. But heading into the third period of game two, Nathan McKinnon had one point and Kale McCarr had zero. Yet the Avs had scored... What? Nine goals? Yeah. At that point, they scored. McCarr scored two in the third, and McKinnon had an assist on one of them. So that's why I, I broke it off at that point. But at that point, the game was already over, right? It was 5 nothing. So the Avs are doing it not just with McKinnon and McCarr. You know, Randon's having a heck of a series. Nachushkin has been dominant He's been their before best player. he got hurt. He's been Burkowski, their best player. you know, was, was really doing quite well. And we'll have to monitor his situation and see. So the Avs are getting depth scoring, if you want to call it that. I mean, these are still top guys. Nachushkin plays on the first line and Randon's on the number one power play and and has been really good. So they are a handful. But the, the formula for the Lightning doesn't need to be that they have to play exactly, like reverse everything that happened in, in these earlier games because... I will maintain the Lightning do have an advantage in net. So they just need to do more than what they have done. But they don't need to dominate Colorado to win a game. They don't. I go back to the point I made about the building blocks for success for the Lightning. If the building blocks for success for Colorado are control most of the action, and build up a fairly substantial edge in scoring chances to neutralize the goaltending advantage the Lightning have, that's their formula. What's the Lightning's formula? Keep the scoring chance number close to even. You don't need to dominate possession to do that. But they have done next to nothing to generate chances on Darcy Kemper. I shouldn't say that makes it sound like it's all them. Colorado has had a hand in that. The Avs are defending so tenaciously in front of their goalie that they've made this fairly easy for Kemper. Did he even need to take a shower after game two? Did he face one scoring chance 
in game I, two. I, I, you'd be hard-pressed to tell me five excellent saves yeah. he's had to make through two games. So if we come on the air tomorrow and we are saying, you know what, spitballing, because this isn't a stat that's that's kept. I know some of the sites keep it, but I think they had the Lightning with 13 scoring chances in game two, and they're probably not counting them as like prime chances. So I'm just saying I test, okay? If we come on the air tomorrow recapping game three, and we are prefacing not knowing what's going to happen in the game. But if one of our talking points is the Lightning did a much better job of leveling scoring chances, the scoring chance number and and the number of the quality chances was in the ballpark to being even, the Lightning will be in the catbird seat to win the game. The Lightning's biggest advantage in this series is between the pipes. And say what you will about Vasilevsky giving up whatever it is, 11 goals. We weren't crazy about the first two that he allowed in game one. He wasn't giving up Mike Smith-type goals. I mean, the Avs scored a lot of goals on Mike Smith. They were leaking through him. Five-hole, you know, Goals getting past them that you might say we really needed a save there. I mean, the goals that Colorado are scoring on Vasilevsky are either tremendous grade-A chances or good-to-great shots in terms of their placement. The Manson shot was a terrific shot, and it was a three-on-one, which affected maybe Vasilevsky a little bit too. And the Makar shorthanded goal, Phil felt that, that Vasi overplayed that a little bit. Fair enough. It's still a two-on-one shorthanded. And those are pretty good shots. I mean, it's not like they leak through his pads, like Comfort's goal on Smith in Edmonton, which is a huge goal because the Oilers had just tied that game and they were buzzing. And Comfort comes out of the penalty box, skates down the wing, and like takes a shot and dribbles through pads, through the pads of Mike Smith. That has not happened to Vasilevsky, right? So that tells you how dangerous the Avs have been. I think they've earned their 11 goals is kind of what I'm saying. And the Lightning need to lower the number of chances that Vasilevsky is dealing with and increase the number on Kemper. And again, way easier said than done. They need to do things within the game to, to get that number close. But I'm maintaining, and I know I'm not in the fortune-telling business, but I'm telling you that I feel much better about the Lightning's prospects in a game in which the chance number is level because I do feel they have an advantage in that. I, that part I agree. It's can they get there, Dave? Right. Can they get there? Well, I think pace that's of play, the question. right? I mean, that's I think it question. starts there. They need, to, they need to play faster. Can they do it? How much of this was altitude? How much of this was Colorado? How much of this was just the Lightning had an off night? Because, again, they didn't play that badly in game one. Like, it's not like game one just didn't exist, right? These same two teams were playing. So, game three is fresh. And let's see the Lightning handle what Colorado is throwing at them and see if they can throw more at Colorado. I think, uh, and we'll go to break because we got to get some questions in. And I think what's just so stunning is... The Lightning just haven't been on the same level with Colorado for even a decent amount of these two games. And we can talk about what they did in game one, and they scored three goals. As I told you before, I think there's a, a strong argument to be made that, you know, those three goals, and you, and you can't discredit them. You know, a couple of them were really great individual plays, and, you know, one was a, a seeing-eye shot from the point. Where is the sustained offense? Mm -hmm. And that needs to start to, to show up tonight. I think it will. Because I, I, I think we'll get into the altitude topic. Not that we're doctors or the, the training staff. But now you get back to the confines of your own home. You're not dealing with the altitude. And maybe it takes a day to, to get back to where you were before you made the trip to Colorado. But the crowd should be a factor. And let's face it, I, I firmly believe this. This is a must-win game. 
Oh, yeah. You've got to win this game. And you can make yes. a case you've got to win the next two. I think that's... We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there for yeah, game Yeah, let's four. start with the game tonight. But tonight's a must-win game. And because of that, this should be the Lightning's best effort, which may allow them to play with a bit more pace because they're drawing from the crowd and the energy from the crowd. But we'll talk more about that when we return. What adjustments would you make if you're John Cooper, if any, at Bolts Radio? I'll tell you a quick story about a team that had to make an adjustment in the playoffs that maybe a lot of people weren't anticipating, and we'll see if the Lightning maybe try that route. We'll do that when we return. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Ersnick's our producer. Hope you had a great Father's Day for all the great dads out there. And uh, we'll talk about it a bit more with this series, Game 3 tonight on Lightning Power Play. Listen at 9 a.m. the morning after each Stanley Cup final game for Lightning Playoff Rewind. Bobby Fenton breaks down each game with special Lightning guests. Lightning Playoff Rewind, the morning after each playoff game at 9 a.m. Exclusively on Lightning Power Play. This is Lightning Power Lunch with Greg Linelli and Dave Mishkin on Lightning Power Play. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We do have Game 3 tonight. I mean, look, this is still the Stanley Cup Finals. Colorado hasn't won a damn thing yet. The Lightning still have an opportunity here. They win tonight. Now, I, I just want to see how the yeah. Avalanche react to that. You know, By Make the way, them do breaking news, Greg... Ooh. Did you know that Avalanche fans want the cup? <laughs> I can't. I, I didn't. They were didn't. a great crowd. I was so impressed with the crowd in Denver. They were loud. They were boisterous. They were joyful. I mean, they had a lot to cheer about. But even the beginning of game one when it was 0-0, they have a little thing they do. I don't know if it came through over the air when you were watching on TV, but they sing in unison the middle TV timeout of the third period, all the small things from Blink-182, which I don't remember them doing that in the regular season. Maybe there's like a playoff tradition, but literally. How I many, like Blink-182. Yeah, me too. So the, the the lead singer comes on the scoreboard and kind of tees it up. Yeah. But then the crowd just takes over, and they, they're just singing. And I don't know if it's everyone in the building, but – just about everyone in the building is singing in unison without the lyrics. They know the lyrics. What were they I saying? I can't say that all I know the, all the lyrics. All the small things? What was the song? What were they? What all the small the things. Yeah, that's oh, the, the beautiful. song. And they beautiful. And like the puck drops because they're out of the TV timeout and they're still singing. Yeah. Which they're allowed to, right? I mean, it's not like it's a scoreboard feature where the avalanche are actually like playing something during game action. I was super impressed. But they definitely want the cup. I, I got that message loud and clear from them. Well. That was one of their many chants. Blink-182, side note, really interesting band because I feel like they're too, not a surprise. I, I believe, if memory serves, they're two lead singers. Because if you ever listen to their songs, it's... it's. I didn't even know they had two lead singers. But. Well, it's different, different singers take the lead on certain okay. songs. And they ended up breaking up and... Both of them formed their own bands that were pretty successful. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them was Angels and Airwaves. Are they going to say they were Blink-91? Blink-91. <laughs> and I, I want to <laughs> say they, they split in half. No, that's maybe a, they... Sorry, math joke. Bad, no, that's fine. Well, joke. you know me. You know me. I'm bad in math, so I, <laughs> I, I, that went over my head. But I feel like they, um, they ended up forming two different bands. And I think there was some talk about a reunion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know how it is with bands. Sometimes they just either they can't get along or you know something yeah. happens. But I, I've always liked Blink One. Yeah, they were a good band. Yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, I remember their popular songs anyway. Yeah, that being well, one that's of them. all that's all anybody cares about. You know. Anyway, I interrupted out. you. What I hope is that we hear and feel the same energy from the Emily Arena crowd that we got in Denver. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the altitude because there was a lot of talk about it, and I think you brought up an interesting point about, you know, people you would talk to and when that could come into play in a series like that. But I, I think for anybody to discount it is probably not giving it enough credit. And, you know, when you think about in today's sports, Dave, most of the arenas slash stadiums slash ballparks – 
with a few exceptions, are all basically the same. And there's not a ton of, of home ice, mm-hmm. home field advantage anymore. Like I said, there, there are some exceptions. In baseball, you may have a, have a short right field or a, you know, a pretty deep left field, and maybe things are a bit different. But Phil will tell you, obviously, as, as we often discuss with him, I mean, hockey rinks were some were bigger, some were smaller. You know, when he played and um, even I, I think I remember the old Civic Arena, it felt like the fans were on top of you. You know, the, the building would shake when things would go well for the home team. I feel like in Denver, it is maybe one of the true home ice advantages still left in the NHL. And it's not necessarily how the arena is built. It's just you're dealing with the, the circumstances, yeah. the altitude. And I think that is an advantage. But they've also, I should say, but, and they have constructed a team that allows them to use the altitude to their a good advantage because they play no with doubt. pace. No doubt. But to, now, for anybody look, to sit here and say that it's not They an had a chance to think... draft Nathan McKinnon. They drafted Nathan McKinnon just like any other team would have. But he is a guy that can play at a really fast pace. Sorry, yes, go ahead. And, and listen, th- that's a really good team, and they've been building for this for a while. So let's not th- – they've, they've done this even with the conditions being in their favor. But – for somebody to sit here and say it's not a factor, and there are some who have said that, I think is is doing a disservice to the circumstances and the elements surrounding uh, the 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 Avalanche and the Lightning. And I, yeah. I do think it's a factor. And hopefully, the Lightning can extend the series a few more games. And when they go back out to Colorado in Game Five, they're better prepared for that. I, I did want to say. Uh, it's I don't even know, Dave, if it's relevant because it's a different era and a different time. But it speaks to, I think, changes that you have to make in a series, let alone a game. And I go back to the early 90s, way back, during the Patrick Division semifinals. The Penguins were taking on the Washington Capitals. Scotty Bowman was coaching Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, as you know, at the time, had all of those Hall of Famers. They were going mm. for their their second consecutive cup, and they ran into a Capitals team. They lose the first two games. In fact, they go down 3-1 after losing game 4-7-2. Lemieux and some of the, the Lightning star players went to Bowman and said, listen, Washington's too fast. We need to trap. We need to do something strategically different than what we've done. I'm not going to get into the X's and O's of that. That's not my forte, nor do I, I think that is, is interesting when you start breaking it all down. The bottom line is the players went to the coaches and said, we need to do something differently schematically because we can't slow this Washington Capitals team down. And they went to a pseudo-type trap. And they proceeded to end up winning the series. They won game 5-5-2, five, five, game 6-6-4, six, six, game 7, they won 3-1. Various reasons why they came back and won that game. Obviously, having Mario Lemieux is a big reason. But the fact that the star player went to the coach, a Hall of Famer, and said, listen, we need to change structurally what we're doing here or we're not going to win. Now, that's one, that's one example, Dave. I'm not saying that's what the Lightning are doing right now. In fact... They may like their game and say, we just have to execute it a bit better. But I am wondering, because of Colorado's speed, if after two games, the Lightning are going to do some things differently with how they dump the puck in, maybe how they carry the puck in, or maybe just how they defend. Maybe time will tell, and maybe we'll be able to pick up on it a little bit more tonight. But I'm wondering if that type of adjustment is appropriate based off of what we've seen the previous two, or do we feel like if the Lightning, quote-unquote, play their game, that they should be okay and that should be good enough to get back into the series without making major changes to maybe what they want to do schematically? I can tell you, reading the tea leaves from some of the quotes, and really it was Coop who said this, yesterday when the team returned to Tampa he said you know sometimes in a series you spend so much time looking at the other side that 
you don't focus as much on yourself, which is funny you said that because he's usually the one to say it's about us, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> we worry right. about us. I mean, in a playoff series, it is different because you're seeing the same team for a two-week span, up to a two-week span, over and over and over again. And so just to to put your blinders on and say whatever is happening on the other side doesn't matter is is foolhardy. But that was his quote. And if that's actually what he believes, then it would be less about adjusting to what Colorado is doing and more about the Lightning to use your quote, you know, quote unquote, play our game. For me, I, I think it, it starts and ends with pace of play. I think the Lightning will look a lot closer to Colorado and be able to deal with what Colorado is throwing at them better if, and it's a big if, we're going to see tonight, if they can do it, they operate at a faster pace. Now, that doesn't mean operating recklessly. You have to execute at the faster pace. But I kind of circle back to this because I said it on the air, and I, I believe it, said it on the air when we were doing our show. The last 50 minutes of game one, I thought the Lightning did an okay job defending against Colorado. They didn't do enough in the offensive end which we drilled down on after game one. Right. You know, they had 23 shots on net, 26 were blocked. And we said they need to do more to get pucks to Kemper. Sure. But if you're going to get 60 shot attempts, it doesn't mean that you don't have the puck at all. So they did recover after the first 10 minutes of game one. And while Colorado had points in the final two and a half periods of regulation, when the Avs got a little momentum and they had a surge McKinnon was doing his thing he's like buzzing all over the ice I mean the Lightning did hang in there and they did a reasonably good job of limiting chances and they held Colorado to zero goals in the final two periods of game one they gave up one in overtime so that to me is kind of from an XO standpoint that's probably like how you're you're looking at what do we do I mean, we're not going to not let them have the puck the whole game. But when they have the puck, we need to dig in defensively and try and take away some of their open looks. And they did a much better job of that after the first 10 minutes in game one, as we have talked about. In game two, it was harder for them to do that because they were just slower. Going back to the video game <laughs> example, sure. right? Yeah. Like, if you're... If you're video game character is slower you can say well we want to do this and you just can't get there right maybe i should stop making video game examples but Dave, that's are, are you all a gamer us, dave all of are us you who, a gamer? not really not really but i played <laughs> enough of them to uh, not that i'm ever the slow person right like sure. you right. set up of the course. game so that you're the faster person yes but like you can throw strategy out the window when when that happens so i think yes. that that's why I go back to this first building block is for the Lightning. They need to play faster. They need to think faster. They need to react faster. They need to execute faster because that's what Colorado is doing to them. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, this is cliche too. I think they'll play faster if they're more confident. I think if they see they're able to sustain some good offensive pressure, Dave. Get some swag I, I back think, to their game. I think you play faster that way. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but I think sometimes the obvious makes the most sense. And the other thing, too, is, you know what? You see one of these guys from the Avalanche w within within reason, and I know they tried to do that a little bit in game se game two, but the game was out of out of reach. You know, hit somebody. You know, let them know you're there. Mm -hmm. and, and this game can get a little ugly, but I, th I think for the Lightning, pull them into the fight. Let's go. I mean, I think as John Cooper said, maybe we're giving them too much respect. All right? So they, they you know, one of those guys comes down, finish your check. Yeah. Lay him out. And within reason. And and we'll see if that changes the complexion of the game. Al says, just curious, a lot has been made about the altitude in Denver. Do you know if the players are allowed to use oxygen between periods? Could they use it during the game while on the bench? You know, it's interesting. We see in other sports, Dave, yeah. oxygen being used. His question is, uh, do they use it? Can they use it? I don't know. I didn't see anyone wearing oxygen masks on the bench. I don't know no. about the locker room. That I don't know. Can they, Al? It's a good question. I could give you an answer, but it would just be guessing. I, I don't know why they wouldn't, but you know, maybe we'll ask a, uh, a former player or two when we're at the rink tonight. 
as we're uh, breaking it all down. Bob says, secondary to that question of Al, is there an effect on players like Avs who regularly play home games in high altitude when they play at near sea level in Tampa? Or are we just making too much out of this altitude thing? Well, I don't think we're making too much of it because it is a real thing that, that we've heard enough people talk about. Look, if the Avalanche had a huge advantage going to other buildings, I mean, they are, what, 7-0 on the road in the playoffs. But, again, you know, good teams win on the road and less good teams don't win on the road. And when the Avalanche weren't very good, the altitude advantage, if you want to call it that, wasn't as pronounced either when they were at home or when they went on the road. I will tell you that the hotel that, that we were at was not the team hotel we were in a we were in an overflow hotel that was a little farther from the rink it was walkable but in game one phil and i walked there and back and for game two we said you know i'm seeing these i'm seeing these pedicabs we saw a lot of these in denver where they're basically like bicycle carriages <laughs> so maybe you've seen them in dc i've seen them in dc yeah. i hadn't really seen them anywhere other than in dc though until we got to Denver, but it's like a taxi, except that there's a guy riding a bicycle. And there was some concern that we may have some precipitation on the way down to the arena for game two. So Phil said, I'm going to see if we, I can get us one of these pedicabs. So we met the guy. The guy was waiting for us. So it was like a two-seater for Phil and for me. And the guy like rode us on his bicycle down to the arena. Now it's a little more downhill to the arena a little bit more uphill back to the hotel and what phil said was can you meet us after the game he's like yeah no problem so we had the same guy pick us up after the game he rode us back to the hotel and and we were talking to him and like you know how do you get involved in this do you need a special license or anything like that he's like no not really um but he told us what you need to to do to be able to to get on a bike guy was fit of course and i said do you notice when you go to a lower altitude that you feel like you can pedal forever he's like oh yeah so i mean that's anecdotal right but if you're used to the altitude and you go yeah. to a lower altitude you do feel like you probably have more oxygen but i'm not sure the avalanche can play much faster than they did in game two so it's more about the lightning playing faster and and I'm going to look ahead. I don't like looking ahead, but I will look ahead in this instance. From this point forward in the series, the teams are in the same boat. Because it's not like the Avalanche players are immune to leaving the altitude of Denver. And the teams are going to be here for, what, four, four and a half days? And when they go back to Denver, every player on both teams will be in the same boat. I'm saying when they go back to Denver. I'm not really comfortable looking ahead. I don't know what's going to happen these next two games. But if the Lightning can extend this thing and we do have a game five, what I'm saying is both teams should be in the same boat as it relates to the altitude. And if we still see Colorado having a huge advantage in terms of game speed, essentially, then it's, it's definitely not the altitude. But... There was a disparity between game one and game two for the Lightning, and we'll see how they look tonight when they're at their usual, whatever it is, feet above sea level here in Tampa. It is a factor, but now the Lightning have to adjust. And the Avalanche haven't won anything. They simply held serve. It seems daunting because you win the first two games. I think it puts you back on your heels. But the Lightning now have a chance to punch back on their home ice, mm -hmm. and that needs to begin tonight. We're asking what adjustments should the Lightning make. Go ahead, partner. Well, and, and look, like Coop said, does it matter whether it's a blowout or a close game? He's like, in some ways, it's an easier thing to deal with when it's a blowout as opposed to a close game. A loss is a loss. Like, he's right about that. A loss is a loss. But remember, when the Lightning lost game two to the Rangers, we were encouraged by what we saw at the end of that game, the second game, and that did carry over into the rest of the series. This one has gone in the other direction. The Lightning were way worse in game two than they were in game one. But these are prideful athletes. And I wonder if being on the wrong end of a seven-goal differential 
is going to fuel them. As opposed to, let's say, it had been a close game and they just would have lost 3-2, to two, right? Let's put it this way. If it doesn't, it'll be shocking. It'll be shocking. I mean, they got to come in here and think, look, we're the back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champs. Mm-hmm. And people were throwing this, this term around as if when we've been dominated and have no chance. Let's have some pride. And I think you're right, though. I think just, again, reading the tea leaves, I think, A, the Lightning are a bit stunned on how this has developed through the first two games. And I think, B, they probably are looking at this and saying, all right, yeah, Colorado is really good. This is definitely the best team we've faced in the finals the last three years. But you know what? Enough of the praise. We can do that after the series. Let's get back to mm-hmm. what's made us the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. And I think it starts defensively, and hopefully then that filters out to some good chances offensively. And, again, it starts with, the, it starts with your best players, Dave. Victor Hedman, yeah. Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, and Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, we can throw Braden Point in there, although you give him a little bit of a pass because I think he is working through that injury. I don't know how effective he's going to be in this series. I guess you could make the case, Greg, he's playing. It's fair game. He needs to put up some points. Fine. Throw him in there. Or he's working through his conditioning. Or he's it's working, not, through, he's his working conditioning. through the injury, yeah. but he has not had the same explosiveness that he normally no. shows. Kucherov didn't have any shot attempts in game two. That, but that nobody did happen. for the Lightning. I right. can say nobody. They had 29, but they didn't They didn't have the puck. Well, I, 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 I gra- I'm granting you that. I'm just yeah. saying. The guys who typically have the puck are the ones that need to start generating those chances, and that would be Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and anybody else you feel like is an offensive threat. That's inexcusable. I don't care how well Colorado played. The good news is, Dave, they know that, and that's why I think we anticipate a better performance. What adjustments would you make tonight? Dan Harajan says, number one, no turnovers in the defensive zone. Number two, win the neutral zone. And three, pepper Kemper with shots. I think well, all of those make yeah, sense. Yeah, and one will lead to the other, which will lead to the other. You know what was interesting, too, in game two, by the way? Not to not to get on the officiating, because that, that game, I think Colorado wins nine out of ten times. I mean, there was a no call on Alex Kalorn early on. Yeah. And then the Lightning end up taking a penalty. McDonough with roughing, but Nachushkin, if you remember, and I know you do, had that backhand attempt off of... Kalorn being hooked that wasn't called. Dave, it's not an excuse, but it felt like the Lightning just never got comfortable after that play. <laughs> I mean, it no. felt like they were on their heels the whole time. I mean, the Avalanche got out to a 3 nothing lead at the end of one, but again, that first minute, Kalorn, and, and I didn't think it was a hooking call. I thought the, the officiating was a little suspect in a Stanley Cup final. And that's not the reason they lost, but I, I felt like, really? that That's the call you're going to make? In the first minute of a, of a Game 2 Stanley Cup Final Series? And it led to a, a ton of momentum, honestly, for the Avalanche. You know, we talk about officiating affecting a game. That no call affected the game. Now, you can say the Lightning should have responded better. Fair point. But you have to factor everything going into this. And the Avs just rolled with it. And the Lightning, you felt like just never, Dave, really reacted well to that no call. Yeah, I mean, you're right. If we're going to look to kind of a signature moment or segment in the game, I probably would look to the first shift of the game because the Lightning brought the puck in with the Sorelli line, and they were buzzing for a good probably 30 to 35 seconds. And you're thinking, all right. I mean, the Lightning did look like on that very first shift as though they were going to be playing on their toes. They were doing the exact thing that we've been saying they need to be doing in the series. But it was one shift, not even a full shift. The Avs bring it down the ice, and you're right. Nachushkin hooked Kalorn. They didn't call it. It happens. Avs make a steal, get a chance, and then McDonough does take a penalty. I mean, McDonough's penalty was a penalty. Avs go on the power play, and it is a fairly quiet power play until the last sequence, and they scored on a really nice pass from Burakovsky to Nachushkin, and Nachushkin gets the goal with seven seconds left in the power play, and that was lighting the, the flame. I'm probably mixing my metaphors here. If we were playing Calgary, I would say lighting the flame. But that, that started the avalanche 
down the mountain. So I would say a couple of things. Calls that go against you are going to happen in a game. They just are. The Avalanche are a team, when they get that match lit, they get supercharged. We've seen it enough from them already in the series, and I've, I've seen enough of it from Colorado in their earlier series. The Lightning have not done as well as they need to to slow them down when that happens. So the, the, the non-call into Tushkin, the call on McDonough, a power play that's really going nowhere. If the Lightning get through that kill, maybe the Avs don't kind of get rolling, but they get the goal, and then they are flying, and the Lightning, to use your expression, like didn't handle it very well. I think all of those led to this tremendous start, and then they tacked on a couple more goals. Unlike in game one, when they had the great start and the Lightning were eventually able to push back, they got the Nick Paul goal. I know they were down 3-1 after one, but it felt a little different than in game two when the Avs just completely dominated after that, after they got that first goal of the game, which was, what, just shy of three minutes into the game. Right. So I understand what you're saying, but to me it's more about we know the Avs are a team that when something good happens for them, kind of like I said this about Toronto, they get supercharged. And the Lightning have not handled those moments as well as they've needed to to this point in the series. And I'm including game one in that, in that regard as well. But here's the flip side. When the Avs aren't feeling supercharged, they are susceptible to some long droughts. We saw it in game one. I remember Natushkin had back-to-back shots just past the 10-minute mark of the second period where we were saying, boy, Natushkin shot like Vasilevsky is really fighting these off. I don't know if you remember that play, Greg. It wasn't a goal, but he got the, sh- he got the puck in the high slot. He shot it quickly. Vasi made the save, but kind of bobbled it. Natushkin chased it and, and shot it again. Vasi made the second save and covered. We had the TV timeout inside of 10 minutes into the second period. This is game one. And the game at that point was still three to one. At that point, the Avs had four shots in the second period, and two of them had just come from Nachushkin. So in the first 10 minutes, basically, of game one in the second period, the Avs had two shots. They were quiet. I remember there was one segment in one of the games they had against St. Louis. It might have been game five when they were up big and the Blues rallied and came from behind, tied it, then McKinnon scored late, and the Blues tied it again. They won in overtime. The Blues did. But I remember hearing there was a segment where the Avs went almost 20 minutes without a shot on net as St. Louis was pressing. Now the Blues were facing elimination. But my point is that I think the Avs have been a team this playoff year that when when something good happens for them, they are really tough to contain. But when they are quiet and they don't have anything going, they they sometimes stay quiet. So it's not easy, but I think that is a challenge for the Lightning to try and extend that. Because we saw little bits and pieces of it in Game 1, and it has happened earlier in the playoffs. But it hasn't happened enough, and enough good has happened for Colorado in these first two games, particularly early, that they have just gotten supercharged, like I said. It's a fair point. Lastly, before we sign off and uh, get set for Game 3 tonight, uh, were you surprised that John Cooper did not pull Vasilevsky? There's been a lot of talk about yeah, that on Twitter, and a lot of people to me were it wasn't speculating. A big deal. Like, had Elliot come in for the start of the third, I wouldn't have been surprised, but it's not like I was appalled that Vassy came out to no. start the third. Maybe they talked to him. So what do you want to do, Vassy? He's like, I want to go back in. Okay. And I respect that. Yeah. He's earned it if that's, if that's what happened. I expect a bounce back game tonight. We'll see if I'm right, Dave. I think you are too. Whether it ends up being a win, uh, time will tell. But we'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow. And uh, I'll see you at the rink in a few yeah. hours. A win tonight, and the series looks a whole lot different. It does. At it 2-1. Does. A loss, and they're going to have a really tough road. No doubt. Coming back. So, like you said, basically must a win. must win. Yeah, Must win game tonight.
All right, partner. Great job as always. We will talk to you tonight. All right. Talk to you tonight, Greg. Thanks to Steve Ersting. Thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Lodelli. Our coverage begins at 7 o'clock tonight with the pregame skate show on News Radio WFLA and Lightning Power Play. You'll hear Eric Erlinson and Bobby the Chief Taylor. I'll have the network pregame at 7.30. Game call at 8 with Dave and Phil. And then we've got the last call presented by Jack Daniels on News Radio WFLA and Lightning Power Play. So we have all of the great coverage for you. And then tomorrow, of course, Bobby Fenton with his show at 9 in the morning. And then Mish and I back at it again noon to 1. Thanks for listening, everybody. We always appreciate it. You have been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.